So thanks for doing this with me. Um, how's it going with you? It's good. I'm a little tired this morning. Um, I was working kind of late last night, but... What were you working on? Uh, we're revamping our site, and I'm kind of a perfectionist. And it's uh, a lot of just, you know, because we are a creative agency, there's so many assets that we have mm -hmm. that need to be formatted, that look good in a horizontal landscape for desktop, and they also have to look good on a, you know, phone. So it's like, it's just a lot of like reconfiguring all the assets we've created for previous clients and for ourselves and previous projects. And um, yeah, it's, it's going on like three or four months, this, this site rebuild. And usually we, oh, wow. yeah, usually we get things done in, in six weeks or less. Um, that's kind of like the sweet spot where you don't get burnt out from the project. Mm. But every time we do something that's internal, it just always tends to take longer. Yeah. Um, yeah partially, yeah, partially because it's like my baby and I'm like, this has to be perfect. This is how it proceeds. Yeah. But What's the internal project? that you're doing right now? So we have a few. Um, the main one is called the Crunch Cup. Mm -hmm. And that's a portable cereal cup. And you basically cool. can eat cereal while you're driving. There's two separate, uh, two separate uh, voids in it, um, or compartments. Mm -hmm. And the outside cup you first fill with milk. Yeah. And then there's an inner cup which you push down into the milk it's completely sealed and separated, and in that inside cup, you put cereal. In the top, there's a hole, and in the lid, where the cereal kind of hole comes, it's about a, an inch or an inch and a half in size where the cereal comes out, mm -hmm. but there's a separate hole that feeds into the outside cup that has milk. So they don't mix until they hit your mouth. Oh, nice. So it stays crunchy. Stays crunchy, and... It's a really weird, um, you know, I only noticed this uh, after we started prototyping it and, mm -hmm. and I started using it heavily. I didn't, like, have this time limit on cereal. So, like, I hate cereal that is so soggy that it's just, like, mush. It's basically oatmeal. Yeah. So, like, every bowl of cereal, I don't care what cereal is, has probably a three and a half to four minute like time that you can eat it you know you have to eat right. that bowl in mm -hmm. less than five minutes otherwise it's complete trash so you know it's really easy you, you throw milk and cereal into a bowl but what happens if you are you know on your way out that three to four minutes is kind of it's not very long but it's kind of a time hog um how did you guys come up with this product like, were you eating cereal one day and got annoyed with how soggy it was <laughs> yes, <laughs> while yeah. you were driving? <laughs> so I, I was an editor. Um, I worked in the edit bay and, um, where I was doing compositing, editing, um, kind of a, a versatile key player at this visual effects studio. Mm -hmm. And we had a kitchen that was always stocked with cereal. That was the main thing that was out all day. Like, we had bagels in the morning. We had, like you know, different things. We didn't get lunch or anything, but there was always some type of food. But cereal was like the easiest if you were really uh, swamped. And the only problem is like dealing with a bowl and spoon in front of a keyboard 
is kind of dangerous. Yeah. You know, spilling milk and cereal everywhere is like not the greatest thing, especially when it's inside your keyboard. So I would take two cups. I'd fill one cup with cereal, the other cup with milk. Problem solved. And I would just swig back the cereal <laughs> and swig back the milk. And I could have this meal that, you know, I could eat at my own pace, you know, without having to worry about spilling milk, without having to worry about, uh, you know, it going soggy while I'm like typing out an email, like one email and your cereal is already trash. Yeah. So that's kind of where the idea was spawned. Mm. And I've kind of had this idea for a long time, but it wasn't really, uh, defined well enough until I met one of our partners who was looking for a project and his daughter wanted to uh, create a cereal truck and I'm like oh that will never work like yes the food truck model is pretty cool um, especially if you if she's like looking to start a business that's going to require a lot of effort but I'm gonna have to say definitely pass do not do this because of two reasons a that whole venture is really difficult um, the food truck venture? Yeah, I, I mean, unless you're, you've got some cool fusion style food, uh, you know, I, the food's got to be really great, and you have to be part of this food truck circuit in order to actually sell a lot. Mm. Um, and cereal seems like a really low cost, high margin type of meal, but if you're on a campus, like a, a college campus, and you're selling cereal in a bowl, the I don't think people are really in tune with getting cereal in a bowl, walking to class while holding the bowl, and trying to eat it because of this limited time window. Like they have to eat it within three to four minutes. Yeah. So I basically shot down his idea, and in that conversation, he was like, "Well, what if, you know, like how else can we do this?" I'm like, "Well, I had this idea for something similar, and I don't know why." Nobody's done it yet, um, but it's basically just a 16-ounce Starbucks cup with a smaller, uh, you know, 10-ounce cup inside of it. Milk's on the outside, cereal's on the inside, and you've got this lid contraption that separates mm -hmm. them. That way, you can literally just pack these these cups for, for people who purchase them, and there's you alleviate the portability element, you alleviate the uh the time limit and yeah. it's i think it'll work but like obviously it's going to take a lot of prototyping yeah. so so you have this business partner that came to you for an idea and then you pitched them this cup the cereal cup yeah um, so now now he's into it yeah now i mean he was more into the idea and i was just shooting from the hip i'm like yeah, yeah you know like i wouldn't do the food truck but like what mm -hmm. if we could develop a product yeah. out of this and he just got amped on it. Like yeah. he was, he is, uh, he's a little older than I am. And he works in the studios building sets. Mm -hmm. He's the most crafty guy I know. Yeah. You say, hey, I've got this problem. And it could be literally anything. He's basically a mechanical engineer, but works in the studios. He's very hands-on and he'll- Like film studios. If you're film studios, yeah. yeah. He'll weld it, he'll, mm -hmm. uh, you know, machine it, he'll uh, cut it out of wood yeah. and contraption, you know, he's just very versatile. So yeah. 
He's like, you know what? In one week, I'm going to bring you this prototype. And I was like, okay, dude. Yeah. Like, go for it. So yeah. you guys got this cup going, but you have the digital agency that, that you were operating at the time. How did you make that decision to transition to this or if you did that at all? Yeah. So our agency is, um, you know, we found a lot of uh, low resistance uh, clients in people that needed to grow brands or, you know, we're in the startup phase, but, you know, we try and get them right after they've, they've started up, they have a website, they're trying to grow this brand and define it and try to scale. Um, but sometimes they come to us with an idea that, you know, it is kind of kludged together mm -hmm. and it's not really defined yet. So we ended up doing a lot of Kickstarters and a lot of crowdfunding campaigns and helping people actually raise money in order to get started. Yeah. And as a creative agency, there's plenty of work to be done growing a brand. There's website, there's the initial launch, there's marketing campaigns, there's photo shoots, video shoots, right. like you name it. There's plenty of content to say, oh, well, you need to So you built like, up all these skills, all these like marketing knowledge just yeah. through working with clients and now you have your own product. So like, how did that, how did that all work out for you? Well, we saw so much success with, um, our clients, you know, they, they, we just did a really good job, mm -hmm. you know, if I can say so myself on behalf of the agency that I was like, you know, I have a background in product design and in additive manufacturing and in prototyping. I, started uh i was a co-founder uh previously of a company called sd3d which does additive manufacturing so not only did i kind of have this idea um and kind of skill set for prototyping but we also had the creative content aspect to it and the marketing aspect so i was like we should just do this ourselves yeah. you know wouldn't it be so great if we could start creating products internally when we have downtime. And so I created this 80-20 um, kind of mindset where we have an idea box in our uh, project management tool. If anybody that works with us, I tell them, hey, 20% we're gonna work on internal projects, 80% we're gonna work on client projects. You know, throw stuff into this idea box and, you know, maybe once every quarter, we'll decide to, you know, start scaling that idea. Mm -hmm. So yeah, fast forward, we launched the Crunch Cup project in November of 2018. And this was kind of, you know, one of those 20% utilization yeah. uh, projects, but we enjoyed it so much because it's fun. It's, it's serial. It's, you know, this, this very, uh, I mean, it's really eye catching, you know, the whole body is clear and the top is this mango color. And when you fill it with Fruit Loops and you have the milk, the contrast in colors yeah. just looks yeah. cool. So it's kind of an easy sell. Um, and we just had a blast creating this funny, quirky kind of brand around it. And that's that's where we are today. We're scaling that business. We um, nailed down our supply chain. We basically did all the back-end work that we're not so in tune with. Mm -hmm. That's the one part that we don't really know. We yeah. Lots of pitfalls, lots of uh, creating new partnerships, working with uh, other companies that 
handle our freight forwarding, that handle our international um, 3PL services, our domestic 3PL services, integrating into marketplaces like Amazon, the Gromit, um, Touch of Modern, uh, as well as like, you know, 20 other small wholesale partners that, yeah. that want to carry the product. And that was a new learning experience. But how did you, how did you um, learn about all that? How did you get into all that stuff? I, um, well, it had to get done somehow. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, um, we found a manufacturer who helped a lot. This manufacturer, they're, they're great. I can't um, promote them enough uh, because their services are just spectacular. They're based out of Shanghai and Hangzhou mm -hmm. in China. Their name's Platform 88, and they help, they found this kind of niche where they do hydration products. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I can name the, the big brands that they work with, but they work with a lot of big yeah. brands that I found were very trustworthy. Yeah. You know, like we're talking the big brands in the hydration and water bottle uh, vertical, I guess. Um, okay. And so yeah, we decided to go with them. And they kind of helped us a lot with figuring out, you know, referring us to a freight forwarder. And anytime that the manufacturer can refer a company that's going to be communicating with them, I found that most of my time was kind of sucked into communication with the, the manufacturer overseas. And if I can reduce the number of emails, because um, there's a lot of like, okay, I'll make an intro to you, I'll do the I'm gonna contact our, our freight forwarder who has to connect with the manufacturer, who has to connect with their agents that are actually picking it up in trucks. Right, there's and a lot of people involved in There's you so many people, yeah. yeah. So we went um, using two companies that they referred us to. Mm -hmm. um, I hadn't previously known about one, but you know, never got an intro like they did, but they referred us to Flowship and which is our international 3PL and we also got an intro to cargo centric which is our freight forwarder and that cut down emails that i needed to be involved yeah. with so much because they'd already worked together they already knew the locations to get picked up they already knew the forms that needed to get, right. to get signed they were able to tell the manufacturer to put the packing slip and the uh, advanced shipping notice on the outside yeah. of the pallets like it was very it was already a well-oiled machine yeah. without me yeah. having to oil it. So you got the manufacturing down, you got the like shipping stuff down, um, and you were saying earlier that you help your clients with things like Kickstarter programs and or you know campaigns and mm -hmm. uh, all this other stuff. How did you apply that to your product now? Like, how did you guys get it off the ground? So uh, Kickstarters are are pretty unique in the fact that. You need to spend money in order to make money. And, you know, we kind of have this system down because we've done it, you know, a few times, uh, or more than a few, but basically you need to generate this email list before you launch. Yeah. We knew that the algorithms on Indiegogo and Kickstarter are both traction based. So we created a budget to where we had this initial campaign before the Kickstarter was live. And that, basically entailed building an email list and spending uh, 
our budget on ads to get emails. The email was the conversion. But, you know, typically our, our product did pretty well um, because I think it looked so unique and kind of fun. But in some cases it can be a, a really big struggle when the conversion isn't a return on investment in a dollar amount. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're basically putting a value of each email at a hypothetical dollar value. And that dollar value can always be reduced by referring people. So we set up this milestone referral program where there was five different milestones. Uh, sign up, get X. Sign up, three people get X. Sign up, five people get X. Sign up, 10 people get X. Sign up, 50 people get X. Mm -hmm. We were able to get 50, uh, uh, not 50, maybe 35,000 emails mm -hmm. in one week. Wow, that's pretty good. Yeah, but we gave away free product, which is a huge risk. We gave away discounts, which complicated our entire campaign. Mm -hmm. We, the easy ones are like, refer one friend, get uh, entered in the sweepstakes to get you know a two hundred fifty dollar value yeah. uh, giveaway. That kind of convolutes the, the fact that we want to get people to actually purchase. Yeah. But, for us, we made the conscious decision that. If we can get one and a half people, and I said one and a half because it's about 50% of the people actually referred, mm -hmm. at least one person, which is great. But if we're able to cut down our costs from you know $2.50 or $3 an email to a potential of one and a half people for $3, mm -hmm. then that's a huge win. You know, we're, we're reducing our costs by uh, exponentially. At the end of the, this, this pre-launch campaign, we had so many emails that it was basically we were getting them for about 20 cents, which is outstanding because typically you get them for about $2, um, $2 to $3, depending on, you know, if we're just doing, hey, you know, if it's an ad to a sign-up form, you can look at about you know, if you're, it's a really good campaign, it's a really good product, and your targeting is really good, maybe $1.50 to, to $3 for a single email. Mm -hmm. But we had so many people referring yeah. their friends in order to join this, this gamified, uh, you know, milestone program. Yeah. Uh, we were able to get 30000 in a week yeah. with less than $3,000 spent. So do all these people get a free product? Is that what you're saying? No. Oh, okay. No, no, no. Uh, they would have to refer uh, 10 people to get free okay, products. Okay, so there's like a requirement. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's there's definitely a requirement yeah. because we'd go bankrupt. <laughs> so now you have, so now you got, um, you know, these leads, 35,000 emails. Mm -hmm. um, are you up to the point where you're doing the fulfillment and like, did you get pre-sales or anything like that through, the, through your campaign? Yeah, so yeah. we raised in total between Indiegogo and Kickstarter, we did both. Um, we raised about $80,000 and that was largely due to this email list that we gathered right. because on Kickstarter, we were funded within a day or two. And with Indiegogo, we used their on-demand platform where we just kind of uh, plugged in our Facebook pixel and our AdWords pixel, we're able to remarket and feed people into the system. There's also this really cool tool uh, that Facebook gives you where if you have an email list mm -hmm. like we did, we were able to plug that into 
uh, Facebook and create a lookalike audience. Right. These are the key. These are the the highest returning types of targeting because they're it it's not. Yes, you can add gender-based stuff and uh, age-based stuff and uh, all these different targeting, uh, different interests and, and things like that. But when you're building a list of people, you're basically asking Facebook to say, hey, I'm going to give you 30,000 people. Give me 30,000 more people like this. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no audience definition that you need to manually select. Right. So... Facebook does a really good job of this. We asked Facebook to create a few lists, one for basically replicate our list with 30,000 new people, uh, or 35,000 new people. Uh, Create another one with 500,000 new people that fit similarly in this. And then create another one, I think we did four and we tested all of them, one like a million people like this, and then another one that was like five million people like this. And I think the the five the five million was a little too high, but right around a million people of lookalikes that fit the same kind of uh, interest groups and and age and everything. That one seemed to do the best. Mm-hmm. Um, when we first did that lookalike audience and we plugged it into Indiegogo, uh, we saw I think a twelve point five times return on investment uh, for the first five days. And then obviously it went down a little bit, but when you're making, you're spending one dollar and you're making uh, $12 and 50 cents for that one dollar you put in, it's a really good feeling. So we utilized a lot of these marketing tactics that are, you know, kind of uh, common nomenclature for marketing agencies uh, to pre-sale this thing. Yeah. Now we are finally receiving our product uh, six months later. It's manufacturing is tough. Yeah. And I mean, even with the, the best, you know, partners that we've got and being, you know, I changed my schedule from, uh, I was going to sleep at 3.30 a.m. and waking up at 10 a.m. Jeez. Because... And then the rest of the day you're working? Is that... Yeah, yeah. It's actually not that tough. Um, <laughs> I actually, I prefer it because after, after 5 p.m., uh, there's no emails. You know, everybody else in the world, um, or not in the world, everybody else in the U.S. in your time zone is, you know, off. Yeah. So, I'd say during the manufacturing stages, which require a ton of emails back and forth, sending samples, T0, T1, T2, T3, those are all the, uh, after they do the injection mold, um, mold itself, the tool, they need to see if it actually works, because it works in a computer but it may not work with the plastic that you've requested or it may not work with um, the after materials. The yeah. materials, it, it, it's super complicated. Yeah. So T0 um, didn't even seal properly. T1, we had a good unit and we were really lucky because sometimes mm-hmm. you get the T3, which is in between these T0 and T3 um, uh, periods, they have to take that tool off the machine go mill part of it or drill holes, you know, in some cases create a whole new tool because they may have to, um, uh, they may have to, to figure out a way to channel, um, their, their cooling, uh, I guess vents or channels in there. Um, they may not be adequate 
and we had a large draw for a full cup, so it was a little bit of a. It was a little bit of a. You had manufacturing challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> to say the least. And you know we're noobs at, at the actual manufacturing. Sure, is this your? Is this the first product you've ever produced on your own? Yes. Yeah. Completely solely. Uh, yes, this like is the physical first. product. Yeah. You know we've been in communication with some other manufacturers previously for other client projects. Mm -hmm. And help facilitate that just because we had an overall idea of how things worked mm -hmm. but it was never me being the point of contact yeah. saying hey we need this sample um, overnight it you know there's a deadline that we have to meet what, communicating with them on you know certain aspects that may not have been super clear in the beginning with, mm -hmm. on a 3d drawing but once we're holding it and using it we're like oh my gosh like we need to make this change yeah so lots of manufacturing challenges, but I think that's um, for this first stage. the The learning aspect of it is pretty complete. We're yeah. we're pretty happy and satisfied with our supply chain and the entire aspect of it. You know, we've built out a good system. We've understand how our manufacturers work, um, what files they need ASAP, and what can kind of um, you know how long. This process actually takes yeah so right now you're still in the middle of fulfillment and that kind of stuff and it's yeah. just pre-sale right it, at the moment yeah, yeah. so the <laughs> the challenge with um, a pre-sale is that everybody wants their product especially with a food-based product they purchase it they see it's a pre-sale but even though we say there's a deadline you know or, or a uh, suggested um, ship date, I, I think everybody always kind of anticipates that we might come out and say, hey, you know, we finished a month early. You know, the, this idea that maybe Christmas might come early, um, a lot of people have. So we're dealing with a ton of emails uh, daily asking where their product is. Mm -hmm. Now, there have been some delays, which complicated the whole part of it. But uh, realistically, we are in the last final stages where um, products being shipped directly out of Hong Kong. Hong Kong has a relationship with uh, postal services where it's a free port. So there aren't many fees attached to actually getting a product into Hong Kong. And people that bought internationally, which ended up being about 22% of our orders, uh, we can reduce their shipping costs from $25 or $30. I think to Australia, it's about $28 bucks from the U.S., mm -hmm. but it's only $8 from Hong Kong. So uh, half of this initial order is going straight to Hong Kong to fulfill all previous bulk uh, of the orders from our crowdfunding campaigns, and that's dealt with. Now they, we left them with um, a ton of leftover inventory so that they can be our 3PL services for uh, fulfilling international orders. Mm -hmm. No one really likes to see, like, there's no point in, in shipping something on a boat from China to the U.S. just to ship it back, you know, across the world and then lay that, that, that shipping cost on the person who purchased it. Right. So, yeah, we set up a pretty complicated supply chain, I would say, um, in order to provide our customers with a really cost-effective uh, cost shipping method. Um, so, yeah, and 
just a we're basically racing to take the word pre-sale off of our website because mm-hmm. we found a lot of resistance. You know, we don't really have any specific or definitive um, return on investment for advertising to a website that has the product says you're going to get it in a few months. We It's not a direct relationship with the interest in our product because... A, it's a food product. People want to get it in two days. Everyone's used to this Amazon get it in two days type of thing, mm-hmm. and it should be free. So we're, we're dealing with a lot of that, and what we're going to do is with this extra inventory at our partner Flowship in Hong Kong is we are, we're actually going to reduce the um, – or we're going to increase our shipping time from what it will be when product is in the United States – uh, when it's in the United States, uh, we'll probably have a, I mean, we, uh, we're, we're still figuring that part out, but right now in about actually like a few days, yeah. our website gets, uh, the pre-sale verbiage removed and we're going to ship directly from Hong Kong because the other half of our inventory is on boat and uh, I would really like to start testing what people will do when there's no pre-sale involved. Mm-hmm. It's like you purchase it and you get and it you get in it. five to eight days. Um, I don't think there's going to be as much resistance with that yeah. as telling somebody it might be in a month or so. Right. You know, like we we can't give a definitive amount because there's problems importing um, that we're unaware of. Uh, you know, even just this month, there's a lot going on with this new tariff, uh, the Trump tariff that they're they're calling it, um, which complicates a lot of things, and it's something that we weren't prepared for, but uh, I mean it is what it is. Yeah. So. So it sounds like you're having a lot of fun learning about how to like manufacture your own product and then all that shipping stuff and all, all this like fulfillment type things. Um, what's the name of your agency? Uh, it's Modern Alchemy. Modern alchemy. All right. Yeah. And um, you guys are creative professionals. Yeah, I, I would like to think so. Um, we have a really wide tool set range. Uh, you know, because I worked in the studios, uh, visual effects um, and hands-on with video, that part is something that I really love to do. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really figure out a way where we could coordinate creating content and uh, basically able to capitalize on this creative aspect. Because if you're not doing something creative in your life, yeah. I, I tend to lose interest pretty quickly. Like I can't do math all day, but if you told me the math is involved for something creative and we're you know doing math simulations in order to figure out if this product will actually work well under stress yeah and we designed the product there's this whole creative need to the happiness in my life yeah. so I like to think that we built this this engine and into the engine we can add different components um, we can add the car body we can add different uh, you know things to this car and whatever somebody either a client or our own mm-hmm. ideas can be fed into the engine and I finally feel like we have a pretty well-oiled machine through the entire 
process of product ideation and concept to prototyping to uh, brand development to, I guess, supply chain and manufacturing in its totality. And uh, at the very end, scaling the business once you have all these steps yeah. down. Yeah. So we plan on probably doing a, well, we're for sure doing a version two um, for this uh, Crunch Cup, but we also have some other internal ideas that we'd probably like to launch in 2020, probably early 2020, just after the holidays. We'll, yeah. We might do something completely different. All right. You know, just like. Well, hopefully we'll get to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk again when we do this other venture. But yeah. I think all the, the learning processes through this entire thing made us really, uh, you know, we're pretty set up now to throw anything into this machine and, and kind of crunch it out. I'm pretty happy with with our, you know, ability to yeah. to make things happen and and turn into a really like a a real brand. Yeah. You know, and it's it's really satisfying to do it for ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds exciting, and I'm excited for you because um, you look you look like you're happy doing it. So that's yeah, good. Yeah, it's right. it's awesome. <laughs> um, thanks for chatting. Of course. All right.